Hi and welcome. This is Laurent from OSINJobs.com and you're listening to the OSINT Jobs Podcast. OSINT has grown hugely in popularity and so it's no surprise that it's being used across many industries. On this show, I sit down with successful practitioners to discuss careers, jobs and skills to get a deeper insight into the world of OSINT. In today's episode, we are talking to Skip Shiphorst. Skip works as an OSINT language instructor at iIntelligence. Today's topic, languages in OSINT. So we're going to talk about language skills and we'll also dive deeper into Skip's career, which he already shared in a blog post that you can find on our website, osintjobs.com. Skip, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Laurel, for having me. I'm, uh, I'm humbled. This is a first for everything, and this is my first podcast, so I'm very humbled. I looked at the other people you've invited, and uh, yeah, have a, there's a lot uh, There's a lot on the plate, and uh, the, the, the bar is set high, so I'm very humbled to be invited among such a group of uh, highly skilled individuals. Um, Skip, so I usually start off with talking about the industry, talking about in what industry people are working, and then just get to know these industries a bit better. But in your case, and especially in this episode, I would like to talk about languages, because I think languages are very important in OSINT investigations. So what is your view on languages? How important are language skills in OSINT? They play a very important role, I think. We can't be fluent in all the languages online, but there are several that are important. There are several tools that can help us. However, in my experience, and we've seen it quite often in the news recently, is over-reliance of translation tools and over-simplifying that. And that gets echoed into other news media that echo each other. And at the end of the day, sometimes, or quite often actually, a message comes out which is wrongly interpreted, which does have influence on the, how people perceive things, especially with Chinese. So case. are you saying that the use of like machine translation tools isn't great or should be avoided at all costs? I would say, uh, no, it should be avoided. I use it too. Whenever I see a language, a foreign language, which, which I'm not comfortable with. Uh, luckily, the language sound in my brain works pretty well. The numbers part is an absolute mess. But I, I use it too, right? I use the auto-translate key too when I ever have a long text, even in a language that I'm okay at, just to save time, I'll, I'll translate to English. However, what I would uh, suggest is always take everything with a grain of salt, right? We've all been to restaurants anywhere in the world where you get these printed menus and you think, okay, somebody somebody use Google Translate, right? Uh, that's the over-reliance that we have in these tools, right? It's pretty funny when you see these menus. It's less funny when it's foreign policy which gets totally uh, misinterpreted. Yeah, no, this is uh, absolutely important. I think especially when it comes to these linguistic nuances that a word has several meanings and depending on the context, it is this word and not that word. So can you give us a couple of examples where this might happen? Yeah, I saw a very interesting one last year. As you know, I specialize in Chinese language, Chinese internet and research in Chinese. And there was one of the top news medias in the West translated a message or rather a speech by uh, Xi Jinping, President Xi Jinping last year in July during the 100th anniversary of the, of the party. And he said some things, he said a chengyu. Chengyu is, is a, uh, a quote or rather a, a famous saying. Now these famous sayings in China are usually four or eight characters. They're very broadly used and they've been used for hundreds of years, right? But if you 
if you translate those uh, sayings literally, you get some very creative and interesting, and in this case, misinterpreted translations. And the saying was something uh, along the lines of which means crack open ahead and let the blood flow. So this was brought to totally out of context, right? The context was, well, we know we're an independent country. We, we want, to, uh, we want to, to set our own barriers and you're not to mess with us. In order to say you're not to mess with us, he used a very simple uh, saying, which I just explained, which is a saying you can say in the business world too, to your colleagues or even at home when you're, when you're uh, less happy with the people living around you, you can say, I'm going to you crack head open, let your blood flow. Doesn't mean that they, this will actually happen. However, you know, when the way this works now, we work in, we live in echo chambers with, uh, with the media and some of the bigger media names out there. And they copy each other from, uh, from what they see. So literally was translated from Google Translate. And, you know, in this day and age, as you know, we don't have time to read a whole article. Most people don't. They focus on a very short paragraph, which is, you know, in your face. And when it says, oh, well, this person said so-and-so, in this case, crack had open, let blood flow. That kind of, if, if, you're in, if you're in a very black and white sphere of thinking, that kind of fits pretty well uh, in, in that. And it's, uh, yeah, so misinterpretation. As I said, like a great example of demonstrating um, how important it is to know languages. Um, so you mentioned um, you specialize in uh, searching the Chinese internet and as a Chinese language instructor. I also said at the beginning in the introduction that you work as an OSINT language instructor at iIntelligence. So uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, your job or, or what you do at iIntelligence. Yeah, so I started working for this company about two years ago. We're a small company based in Switzerland where we're six and been around for about 10, 11, 11 years, almost 12 years, actually. I told you my numbers are really bad law. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we specialize in data aggregation, a strategy, how to collect data or help people uh, to understand how to collect data. And actually we have three main things uh, that we do, consultancy, we help uh, NGOs, uh, Fortune 500 governments, law enforcement, uh, and other research bureaus to research in a accurate way. We do research ourselves. In order to be at the top of our game, we need to understand all the new tools coming out there. And uh, the third thing we do, which you can see on the website, is giving trainings. And we train anything from basic OSINT, open source intelligence, to advanced social media, the dark web, which is a, uh, a course that packs up pretty quickly, actually. And uh, since uh, since two years, uh, languages and OSINT, which is a kind of a new niche thing, and I specialize in uh, teaching Chinese OSINT and Arabic OSINT for people that don't speak Chinese or don't speak Arabic but do want to find content in those specific languages. We also have uh, another course in the making uh, next to Chinese OSINT and Arabic, which we also already offer. We're going to have very shortly a course on searching Russian in the OSINT spectrum for people that don't speak Russian. So uh, it's, a, it's a new one we have cooking. So give it a, give it a look. Oh, that's awesome. So just to, um, just to get this right. So you will not teach the language, obviously, because it will take some time. So what exactly is it that you uh, teach in these courses in Chinese and Arabic? Uh, yeah, good point. So indeed, uh, it took me a couple of years to learn uh, Chinese and Arabic. So it would, uh, and the courses typically run for a week. So I would be a, uh, a unicorn <laughs> if I would be able to teach Chinese within a week. 
I think I, I could be employed in lots of places. What yeah. I do is break the ice because we have this conception, a very natural, normal conception is when we see a text in a different language is that you think, where do I start? Now, I know where to start with Chinese because I've been studying the language for a long time. I know where to start with Arabic because I started learning it at a very young age. Uh, however, if I would be confronted to another script, uh, for example, Hebrew, I, I, I don't know how to read it. Uh, some of the languages in India, I don't know how to do it. So the first thing I think is, gosh, where do I start? I need to either be a master in that language or I need to be a very skilled uh, internet researcher. And in the case of Chinese, a bit less for Arabic, but in the case of Chinese, you don't need to be very skilled. You don't need any skills actually uh, with Chinese and you need very little skills uh, in OSINT in order to find a lot of content out there. The common misconception that we have is that um, it's difficult, you need to be an expert and you need to be an OSINT ninja. Uh, what I kind of do throughout the week, I kind of apply the things, that, the methods of teaching which I, uh, I taught myself or learned from others in the military is taking a very slow, you know, a crawl, walk, run approach. And the first day I really break the ice, you know, just show that it's not that difficult. Typing in the language is not so difficult. Extracting information, translating accurately is not so difficult. It just needs a bit of time and mm. a couple of tools. There are a ton of tools out there. And I specifically chose just to teach a couple of tools because I think in this case, less is more. And just to add to that, Chinese is probably one of the easier languages to research online. I'm not saying that the Chinese language is easy. There are aspects of the Chinese language that are very difficult. For example, writing with a pen, which, which was fun at university for four years. But in, in terms of research, since the grammar is fairly simple, there's no conjunctions, not a whole lot with verbs, it's actually quite easy language to search in, especially when you compare that to languages such as French or Arabic, which, um, which mm. are very complicated verb systems, or Spanish, uh, makes it a bit more complicated. In general, um, this, this can be a tip for anybody listening. When you do research in a foreign language, or even in English, I, I, would, I would suggest staying away from verbs uh, because they tend to complicate your research. So that's a very interesting point um, about researching in, in Chinese language. So the language itself, as you said, is uh, difficult to learn, but researching the Chinese internet is pretty straightforward, as you said. So you showcase a couple of tools and um, I guess like the methodology and how to do it. But what I want to understand is like, how is it so? Like, why is it easy to, you know, to, to, to research the Chinese internet without, you know, knowing the language? Um, just kind of back on what I said, because the, the written printed language or reading it, it is, is fairly easy. It's, uh, if you know, if you take your time I think the most time spent with the foreign language is is finding the correct keywords you're going to play with or use with. Mm. If you're gonna if you're going to uh, trust everything Google Translate spits out, uh, for eighty percent you're going to get good results. But in many cases you're not going to get the correct translation because Google Translate isn't going to give you what is actually used. So it's important to cross reference other sources like encyclopedias. Wikipedia is a very good one. There's a couple of Chinese encyclopedias just to be sure that. You get those target words now. When you know how to find words uh, and you spend some time understanding how to use search offerings, which I think is the base of all research in OSINT, a skill that I think is not taught enough, I think, the basics. When you have those two, correct translations and you have correct Google operator use and Baidu operator use, you can get a ton of information. The perspective that people that don't speak Chinese is, oh, Chinese is too difficult to research. 
And in some cases, some, uh, some Chinese think, oh, well, you know, our language is so complicated. Only a couple of other countries use this script. It's our first cyber barrier. That, that's a common misconception to have. So I kind of break that barrier and show people how to get a, well, a lot of information. Just like in other countries, there is a ton of information floating around written out by think tanks, websites, policy papers, business documentation online in Chinese and other languages. And so, so for any of the listeners who is interested in learning how to research the Chinese internet or even uh, in Arabic, uh, as you said, um, where, where could people sign up? And is there anything like a, a promo code or something <laughs> that can yeah. give also in jobs listeners some discount? Sure. Sure. So, uh, so thanks, Noah, for that question. Yeah, I've been uh, teaching the Chinese OSINT course for about two years, and I've got a new course coming up, which will be ready this year, which is ready this year. It's the Arabic OSINT course, and we'll kick it off in April, and we'll run usually once a month uh, from now on in different time zones. Uh, yeah, we do have a promo code. Uh, we The promo code is in caps lock is SSCN1005. That's uh, caps lock Sierra Sierra Charlie November 1005. And that's going to give you a 10% discount on all the courses that we offer at iIntelligence. Uh, if you're into the uh, data collection, uh, strategy, uh, Fortune 500, for wishing to understand or deal more better with data, there is bound to be a course uh, out there on our website that's going uh, to help your information position. Thanks so much for sharing the promo codes. So let me just repeat it. You will get a 10% discount on the Chinese Arabic and also the Russian one that will come up, as you mentioned earlier, you will get a 10% discount. And also you can use the 10% discount code on all other courses at iIntelligence. So the discount code is SSCN1005. That's Sierra, Sierra, Charlie, November 1005. So now getting back to the language side. So you gave a great example earlier and, and I have seen it myself, uh, which is interesting if you, for instance, want to you know, do some general public opinion analysis. And then you take, just look at the headlines of newspapers. And then you look at an event that's ongoing currently, and then you compare the European coverage versus the Russian coverage. And this is very interesting and you gain different insights. So knowing the language obviously is important and absolutely critical, but also, as you said at the beginning, the translation, the machine translation. So taking it with a pinch of salt, I would say. What I'd be, yeah, what do you think? What's your take? All tech, all tools is great, but just as before, you need to have a human factor over it and take with a grain of salt. Uh, and I think that in, in these days, there is so much out there to get a lot of information. There is a ton of information. However, that's not the problem. I think the problem is, is people are just, uh, we live in one big library, but we don't take the time to have a look at good books and read good books or long books, or even books that, that, that we're not 100% okay with as a, as a metaphor. With all the information we have there, we have so much information available, but we tend to stick to the sources that we're comfortable with because it resonates uh, with what we think. And whether it's about China or the Middle East or events happening anywhere else in the world, we tend to stick to headlines and to things that resonate that we already know, echo chambers. And I think it's very important. It's one of the things I am thinking about as well is how to implement this in uh, in education later. I'll give you a short example there, Noel. When I, I started university uh, a bit later, <laughs> a lot later than most people yeah. at 34. And what I did have is an old lady that, that took us by the hand to the library and said, okay, this is the standalone computer. It will tell you where the books are in this library. Fine, big fan yeah. of libraries, it's important. 
But what nobody did is tell us, hey, here's the digital library, also known as the internet, and this is how you search. Why is that? I think it's because people assume that if people wrote, have grown up with computers, especially you know, people that are, well, everyone actually, they don't need to search because we can all Google stuff. Yeah, if I would have learned, if I would have known a couple of the operators, let's put, if I would have used, if I'd learned the quotation mark operator and the not operator during my studies, I would have cut my, ta- my time in half probably. So something I'm thinking about you know, that might be interesting, not only for people going to university, but you know, uh, people have to start writing things at an early age. And I think it, it, it couples pretty well in what we just said before is to, you know, teach youngsters to be critical and to to always have their own their own layer of, of research over things, over happenings. I think it's very important. I think some countries are starting to implement that in their curriculum. I think it's good. Yeah, 100%. When I just think about how I grew up and went to school and the things I learned and what was taught. I mean, most of the stuff I haven't used ever since, but, you know, this is just how it is. But these critical things like how to, you know, use the internet properly or search engine specifically uh, to get the information. This would have helped immensely um, with lots of things. I think now is also a good time to move on. So we just discussed, uh, usually we talk about the industry, but uh, today we talked about the importance of languages. And I think you nicely explained and described the importance and, you know, translation. You can use the machine translation, however, take it with a pinch of salt. And now let's move on to the career section, which is all about you. And as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Skip, he has already answered some of our questions, which is published on our blog. Because it's published, we will not go again over the same questions. So just have a look on there. But talk about his career in more detail with a focus specifically on languages. So maybe you can just give a quick summary of your career and, uh, and how you ended up at um, iIntelligence as an OSINT language instructor. Yeah, so I'm going to give you the fragmented version. I was lucky enough to grow up in a, in a, in a multilingual family, Dutch expat in Switzerland. So I had to learn French at school from a very young age. So I'm lucky if I would have learned that after I was 20, it would have been very difficult to most impossible because it's a diff- diff- difficult language. So I was lucky to grow up with that. English, Dutch, and German at school. So I had kind of an, uh, a knack for numbers and not knack for many other things, for most other things, but I'll take <laughs> languages. I'm happy with the languages. And, I, uh, and I, I then started an internship in a bank in Switzerland because that's what you do when you live in Switzerland. But quite quickly, <laughs> see, seeing all the numbers, I thought, nah, that's not, that's not for me. So I went a totally different route and I joined the, the Marine Corps in the Netherlands. And pretty quickly, I was able to use my languages there. This was in the end of the 90s. And I started learning Arabic just because I thought, you know, I might as well just learn another language uh, yeah. written differently, like Cyrillic or Chinese or Arabic. And that, at that time, I thought, oh, I'll just give Arabic a, a go in my, in my spare time, right? It wasn't offered in curriculum. Actually, it's not offered a whole lot, actually, languages within the military where I come from. It's a, it's a shame because it's important. We, we put so much emphasis on, oh, if we're foreigners and we can speak English, we can work, in my case, as a military anywhere or in business. You can do business anywhere because learning a foreign language is, just takes so much time. It does. What I do think is you don't need to know a whole lot to break the ice. And breaking the ice, whether it's what I did in the military, going to places, talking to people, listening in, and stuff like that, or in the business world, is so important. Just showing that you spend a bit of time knowing a couple of words, you just, just to, to shoot a joke or two, 
um, that puts people at ease and you build a rapport much easier and then you're able to go to go from there. So learned Arabic and then moved to uh, Aruba and learned some Spanish on the way, the local language. And then a couple of things happened. I had a bit of bad luck, hit a speed bump mm. in, my, in my career where I was, I was shot. So I had to spend a year or so, a year and a half on hospital bed after a gunshot wound and that gave me plenty of time to, to fix wow. myself physically, but I yeah. just used the time to uh, challenge myself and I thought, nah, a new language might be handy. So I started learning Chinese in my own pace, got discharged and medically and I was offered a university education. I did that. So I had a, uh, you know, you learn the language, you start learning a language, you're you're automatically going to start learning things about the culture. It was the same when I started learning Arabic. You don't only learn Arabic, you learn so much more around it, the culture, the religion, which is so intertwined. Same goes for Chinese. And so I naturally chose uh, China studies, did that for four years as, a, as an old crusty, uh, crusty guy on the school uh, benches and surrounded by youngsters. Uh, great experience, a hard, uh, pretty fast paced learning cycle. It was, it was challenging. I was a, I was happy with five and a half and sixes and 10 is the maximum. Yeah, I did that. And then slowly started learning OSINT on myself. Had some budget over, so I attended some courses on OSINT. And quite quickly, I kind of realized, hey, this might be interesting, implementing languages in, in the OSINT spectrum. And that's how I started at, as, uh, at iIntelligence, just focusing on Chinese. And since last year, I've been playing with the idea, and maybe I might give Arabic a go with online searches. And that's, uh, that's been, that's been great because I've been doing Arabic again, picking up where I stopped a long time ago. And it's just so great to be going back in this, uh, in this nice language and uh, learning about the culture again and rereading about everything that's happening. So it's a, it's a course I very much look forward to, to giving my, to the listeners and the people that are going to sign up. My, my accent is going to be all over the place. I'm not fluent <laughs> in it at all. So it's, uh, there's going to be some cringe moments, but, uh, that, that's all good. <laughs> Yeah, Skip, thanks for, for sharing your career story and sorry to hear about what's happened. Must have been pretty uh, terrible, but it's also um, good to hear like how you then moved on and how you enrolled at this age. I mean, I don't want to say that you, you are, or you were old, but I guess this is, you know, this is probably also that. something that, yeah, that some people are also facing, um, including me. So I'm also in my thirties now and I'm still learning languages and I can say like at the beginning. When I was younger mm -hmm. in school, um, it was easier to learn languages, especially vocabulary. I also studied right. Arabic for three and a half years. So this was in my twenties. And this is, this was the time when I had a hard time uh, memorizing these unfamiliar words. It takes some time and the, the older you get, and this is also what research says, the older you get, it's just more difficult to keep up. So yeah. do you have any advice yeah. and tips for people who are learning languages now? I, I do, and it's, it's, it's a timely good question because everything is sort of opening up, right? Inshallah, let's hope it keeps yeah, this way. Exactly. My, for, so just real basic, everybody has a different way of learning. And when it comes to languages, some people are fine with sitting in a library and just putting their face in a book and just learning vocabulary, vocabulary, vocabulary. Um, I did four years of Chinese, uh, trying to study at university. I think the best moment when I really started making a lot of progress when I was fortunate enough to spend some time in China studying the language for three or four months, that's when I had to use it out of the library as well. I didn't go so much to the library, by the way, no, I'm going to be honest with you. I spent more time outside, uh, you know, you know, buying your, buying your noodles, you know, buying your tickets, engaging with people and, and, and making mistakes. So this is something uh, I tell everybody, uh, people 
are very scared to make mistakes, maybe because they're maybe a bit introvert, but you know, learning a language, there, there's, you, you, there's room for error. There's not a big deal if you make errors unless you translate foreign policy papers like we just spoke about. Mm. But having chit chats, talking, making mistakes is how we learn a lot. Um, and I, I think everybody has a different way of learning. There's some really good tools out there. The one I think is pretty cool is Rosetta Stone because uh, it asks you to repeat something in a computer. It has some pretty cool mm. deals out there and they offer many languages. Uh, what works for me with all the languages, but this is my personal uh, perspective, is I make my own dictionary. Any word I learn new in the language that I want to learn, I did that for Arabic, I did that for Mandarin, so I was just making my own dictionary of words that I want to work with. But then, you know, once you get in the at university, they just give you the books to learn, hey, this is the vocabulary they're going to learn. So it, it, it's difficult, you know, it's challenging when you have to learn a whole list of words that don't interest you, uh, then that's, that's challenging. I would yeah. say just, and just to go back one more time, the best, uh, the best way to learn a language, I think really is if you're passionate about the language, a culture, a people, or an history, go there, right? Um, if, you, if you have the chance, go to all those places to learn a language. A couple of months is all it takes. Don't spend time with people. Go away from the people that, that look like you or sound like you mm. and just stick with the, the locals and, uh, and, you know, eat, drink, talk about anything. And you can learn a, not only a language, you can learn so much more about the perspectives uh, and culture from other people. I think, uh, I think yeah. it's very enriching. So we had a chance to stay at home for a couple of years. We had a chance to put our faces in the books to learn the language. And now yeah. we have a good base. Now it's time to get out there. Um, yeah. But that can be also challenging. So from my experience, I studied abroad in the, in the UK. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go to the UK is to improve my English, um, which I hopefully have done somehow. What I think is pretty unique to British people or English native speakers, wherever they go, and I know yeah. many people who want to learn the German language, they come to Germany and they start speaking German and then the Germans usually reply in English <laughs> and then it's pretty difficult to have a conversation. And this is really unique to um, English uh, native speakers. I always replied in German because I know these people, they, are, um, they want to really learn the language. So it's about practicing, as you just said. Um, and for them, I think it must yes. be a really hard time. And I had also yes. friends telling me that they avoided people uh, on purpose just because they replied all the time in English. And I kept saying to my friends, just speak to them in, in, in German. Just, uh, just allow them to learn as precisely. well. Precisely. Yeah, precisely. It's, it's fun to, that, to hear that. It's, it's so true. So that resonated with me as well. Um, I know some people that spent a long time in, for example, China, got back and just merely improved their language skills just because they stuck with, you know, the English speaking crew, Italians, Germans, Dutch, English, Americans, British, et cetera. And I've got some people that I know that spend just a very short fraction of time in uh, there and just, you know, either stuck their heads in the book or really got out there and only spoke to people that spoke, that spoke Chinese. For me, that was the case. I found that was most yeah. interesting. As an example, when, when we got to China, we already had, I had already two years of uh, mostly daily uh, lessons in the Netherlands. When I got there, my Chinese wasn't that good and the teachers you know, for the first day, we asked some questions, teachers, and some of us, even me, asked some questions in English. I know they could understand what they said, but they just refused to answer in English. Even complicated questions about where to get your student card, how to get a, uh, yeah. where to get a, a coupon for lunch at a university, and it just answered back in, in, in Chinese the first time. You think, okay, well, thanks, but then it's yeah. very thankful actually that these people just, you know, really stick to the plan, just only speak in Chinese. In yeah. that case, Chinese. It works with other languages too. And I think another 
problem or challenge that I used to have when I started learning English was to break that barrier. You know that you can speak this language, yeah. but you you don't want to speak because you're embarrassed um, because of your sound or you're afraid of making any mistakes. And I quickly realized that I won't sound like a native speaker. That's not my goal. My goal is to just yeah. talk in English. And, um, and this is currently the goal in Arabic to just have a conversation, basic conversation. But it's just difficult to break this barrier of, you know, forget about it. If you say it's something true. embarrassing, if you pronounce it incorrectly, it's about trying it, um, but it, it's very tough. So any tips on, you know, how to break that barrier? Yeah, like I said, not being scared of making mistakes and just trying again and just repeating the same words or expressions over and over and over until it gets a second nature, then your pronunciation gets better as well. I think you asked me before, what kind of tips do I have for people that want to break in the industry? And I, I just want to take a second to say that. The, yeah, sure. I think the OSINT Jobs website is a very timely one because I get questions from people in the industry almost on a weekly basis. Hey, how do I do what you did? The first thing I'd say is say, don't do what I do because it's not the, it's not the most logical route and it hurts. It's painful. Now, just all, all pleasantries aside, people want to know where to start. And I think that the, the best answer is don't learn everything in cyber and innocence just because it's a hot market. You have to do it because you really want to. And like I said, there is so much out there. If you have a passion about education, you can implement OSINT with an application. If you're interested in renewable energy, there's more than more that you can build curriculums on researching renewable energy. I think education is a very interesting one, especially for youngsters. If you're into wellness or, or therapy, you know, the last few years, people have been spending a lot of time on their screens. There is uh, there are a lot of people that, that get a, uh, I don't think it's an official term, but a cyber burnout even. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, if that's what you're interested in, I think, well, I, I think it would be very good to have people that uh, mitigate that and help help people deal with that. You know, therapy mixed with OSINT and cyber in that realm, there's, there's so much out there. There's not one route. What I do think is having a solid base and understanding the basic skills. And there's tons of, I think it's written as well in the bio, yeah. there's tons of professionals out there that really don't mind sharing their skills, learn from the ones that want to share and find your niche. For me, it was languages, you know, it might be something different for anybody. Now that's some really good advice here. Uh, thank you for this. So I would now also move on to the, the skill section, the last parts um, of this interview. So just to summarize quickly, we, we spoke about uh, your career and you shared with us your unique story and how, how you got into contact with languages and how you then moved uh, on from there. So that was really impressive to hear. In terms of skills, I mean, I'm not talking now about language skills, obviously they are super helpful and make you stand out. But what other skills, uh, when you just think about research, what, what skills would you say will make someone stand out when applying for an, a general OSINT position? Um, if, if I would run my own cyber company, I would, I would like to have some people that are really skilled in tech because that's the, the, the business you're in. But I also find it's very important to have people that know how to speak to somebody. And it doesn't, you need, like you said, you don't need to know a foreign language. Some people don't have a knack for foreign languages. That's fine. Uh, but I do think having something that adds to your cyber or, or IT toolkit like uh, humanities or maybe uh, social sciences, stuff like that is going to add you. If you're able to speak to people, that helps so much, right? Even when you're writing your reports as an OSINT researcher, if you're only focused on getting the data, writing the data, but you're not able to make that switch to try and translate the feeling and the, the objectivity, what you're, what you're getting, what the information you're getting at, 
Yeah, you're missing out on a, on a big section. Um, I think IT is still the most important skill, but I yeah. think uh, human skills are very important as well. Yeah, these are very good points. IT skills, human skills, uh, even a degree, social sciences, you mentioned public speaking, but also the, the last point. Yeah. And this is what I hear consistently throughout these interviews, report writing. It's one thing to find something and then another yes. thing to link it to something. So you got the so what answered, but it's another thing again to briefly and concisely write it down and distribute it to someone who can act upon. I agree. So. What we see often is in whether it's in law enforcement NGOs or our environmental protection agencies is there's a separation between the person asking the information, the analyst in many instances, and the OSINT researcher, the researcher. What I think is you can do both. It, I often the analyst asks the researcher, go and do the research online, find me the data. The person, the OSINT researcher gets the data and gives it to the researcher or the, the analyst, sorry. And then the analyst has to to use that to to write a report. I think it's so important to have that person, that researcher, the OSINT researcher, write a short summary from, hey, this is what I've been looking at for the past days, weeks, months. This is what I think about it because he's the one or she's the one having, seeing all that data being in the, in the, in the, in the information. And I kind of compare it to if I were to write something, uh, a thesis at university, and I would be reliant on somebody else in looking for books or journals or information for me, that would be terrible. No, I want to be the one looking for that information and summarizing what I find. So yeah. I think there, there should be a more, a better integration between an analyst and an innocent researcher, definitely. I mean, this is also one area that I, that I'm working on to improve because I find it very challenging and it's not that straightforward writing re reports, especially when you're working under pressure and you have to yeah. firstly collect lots of information and then you're faced with this uh, information overload. So you don't know where to look first. You open up TweetDeck and then you just bombard it. Then you go into TikTok and then write a report about everything. <laughs> so this is extremely challenging. You shouldn't go on TikTok no more. You have better things to do with your life. <laughs> yeah. Then I go on Instagram no. Reels. <laughs> yeah, that's better. Even better. No, no, yeah. no. I, I totally agree with what you just uh, just said there. That resonates. So, Skip, um, I would like to summarize this interview and then also conclude it. So, first of all, thank you so much for, for joining me today and then talking us through the importance of languages. You talked about what you do at iIntelligence and you even gave us a promo code. So for anyone uh, who's interested in doing the searching the Chinese internet or searching the Arabic internet language course or any other course at iIntelligence, the discount codes will be in the show notes. It's SSCN1005 and you will get a 10% discount. So we spoke about this part and then we moved on to your career. You told us how you started uh, with languages and what kind of jobs you did uh, throughout your career. And then eventually you ended up at iIntelligence where you're currently employed. And then lastly, we spoke about the, the skills section and you mentioned some of the, the skills that you see as important or having an edge over competitors who applied for maybe similar jobs, such as IT skills. Um, this is also very uh, um, broad. So public speaking, report writing, uh, social sciences, etc. And also don't forget that we have already done an interview with Skip. So you can check out our blog post. It's on our website. 
And we've got, at the moment, we've got over 10 interviews published, so feel free to browse through. And with that said, Skip, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Lowell. Thanks so much for this opportunity. Again, it's very humbling for me to be invited as a guest among such a group of highly skilled people that have been in the industry for way longer than I have. So it's very humbling. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, I appreciate your work for us in jobs. And I think it's a great spot oh, for people to, to have a look at for uh, if they want to start or look for uh, something to do. Thank you so much. Yeah. And also a big thanks to all our listeners. There's only one thing that you can do that would really help us and support this podcast which is leave us a review and also share it if you like the episodes or if you like the season. This would help us a lot. So thank you so much for your support. And uh, if you have any other questions or so, feel free to reach out to me. Or if you have specific questions about languages or any of the courses, feel free to reach out to Skip. Everything is in the show notes. So with that said, thanks for tuning in and see you next time.